1: our expert from REMAX Prime Properties is Asif
2: Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. All right, you've got our first guest. Let's get to it. I do. Simona Zaslavsky from the Mayfair Law Group. Simona, welcome back to On the Market.
3: Hi, guys. Hi, Tina. Hi, Asif.
2: Simona, I know that uh, we were chatting offline a bit, and you said things are looking great at the landlord tenant for it. Tell <laughs> us a little bit more. Wait a second.
1: That's not <laughs> what I heard. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah no um i i was <clears throat> you guys did ask me how i'm doing and i did say that i am extremely busy and as i mentioned the amount of calls that i'm getting right now from landlords has increased probably 4 to 500%. it has been wild lately.
2: wow and and what are these calls about is it still tenants not paying is it tenants not leaving is it a multitude of factors
3: so that is The base of it, but the common thread between all of these landlords is fear. And I'm finding that they are afraid to do anything. They are afraid to try to collect rent. They are afraid to put in an application. They are afraid to sell their house. They are afraid to do anything. And the irony of it is that they own the property.
1: And so where did that sentiment, where did that feeling come from for landlords? How did this all start?
3: So I think that the imbalance of the Landlord and Tenant Board creates this fear in landlords because they feel unprotected. To them in their heads, they know, well, if there's a problem, I'm not going to be able to do anything for the next 8 to 12 months. And they are not the only ones who know that. Obviously, the tenants know that very well because if they, you know, if they didn't, then they wouldn't have been acting this way. I have, uh, I have a landlord who called me today that she had filed an N-4, then an N-12, then an N-4 again because she wasn't sure if the N-12, uh, because her parents weren't going to be living there full time, only 90% of the time was she going to get in trouble. And then an N-4 went in and all she did was waste six months of back and forth, and the tenants still haven't paid.
2: And and Samara, how much do you attribute social media to what's contributing to this fear that landlords have, and, and what's contributing to how tenants are reacting to their landlords?
3: Social media is huge when it comes to this because it allows people that normally would not speak to each other, or bump into each other to become groups. And they give each other advice, poor advice, illegal advice, to do things that they shouldn't be doing. And it, it was not too long ago that something happened in Brampton. Um, a landlord just had enough. And unfortunately, her fear turned probably into frustration, and they caught her on camera holding a knife going after the tenants who have not paid.
1: Have you heard stories like that before?
3: Oh, I probably have heard 20 stories like this in the last 10 days. And I even have, uh, I even have a landlord whose tenant is literally destroying the property, literally pouring things down the drain pouring things into the toilet, ruining the the property, the structure of the property, the neighbors are complaining, and no one wants to listen to his case.
2: And we've, as realtors, we've come across these as well, that disgruntled tenants wiring things improperly so that when the landlord comes into the property after they've moved out and they turn the power on, it short circuits and things like that, that you know, how again, like with the delays in the landlord tenant board and what's happening in terms of the interest rates, landlords could lose their homes if they don't take swift action. And a lot of these actions by tenants are holding up the sales of these properties or the closings of these properties. How do you, as you know, someone in, in the legal aspect of this, communicate to landlords or tenants to try and resolve something like this?
3: So I have the approach that I am an unbiased person when it comes to a landlord calling me or a tenant calling me. And the first thing I ask both parties, either party, is what is it that you want at the end of the day? What is it that you want once everything is resolved? And I try to almost work backwards into helping them, assisting them into getting that, to getting that point in an amicable way without fighting, without any type of negativity towards each other. And, you know, it's difficult because the laws that are available to us, the tribunal that's available to us, isn't available. So, you know, I don't make any promises because I can't make any promises, but I do everything I can in the most amicable way to come to a resolution between both the landlord and the tenant.
1: You sound like a mediator.
3: I feel like a mediator. I feel like a uh, life coach sometimes when it comes to these Mm -hmm. tenants, sometimes with the landlords, and it's difficult. I understand things are expensive and unfortunately there's no recourse. It actually bothers me. I'll be honest with you. It bothers me to take money from landlords because I know that they're going to be out. I know that they're losing money And I want to do everything I can to help them without charging them to get to a resolution first. That is my main objective, tenants as well.
2: And at what point does the frustration boil over and then landlords end up taking the law into their own hands? At what point do we draw the line and say to the LTB, you need to step up, you need to clean this mess up?
3: I'm worried that until more things happen like this, what happened in Brampton, what happened in Stony Creek a while ago. I'm worried that the more this happens and it's sounding like this is happening more often, that's when the board will say, wait a second, we need to do something. They, they just spent $6 million this year in getting new adjudicators and that did not help the delay whatsoever nothing's changed. Absolutely. Nothing's changed at all. The delays are exactly the same. There's no response from the boards when you're calling them. The tribunal really doesn't have any resources for landlords specifically. If you call and ask them for an update, good luck getting on the phone with anybody. Um, The money is not being put to where it's supposed to be more progressive for landlords and tenants to benefit from them.
1: Do you think the message is getting to the provincial government? Because, like you said, they're throwing money at it and that's not working. So what needs to be done?
3: No, I don't think the message is getting to them. Um, the What I try to do is I try to go back. I try to read the law. I try to see if there's a way to uh, maybe change the way that the application is written. Uh, I've been doing research about notice periods and about... You know, having uh, lease terms change. So I've read that when it comes to monthly, you have to give 60 days notice, but there's cases of weekly tenancies where notice period is less. Uh, It's 28 days. So these are just things that I'm trying to do educate myself even more, educate my landlords and my tenants to see if there's you know some type of loophole that we can get through that isn't the norm the you know the month to month the yearly uh, leases that we don't have to do the typical 60 day waits
1: are you encouraging your landlords or your tenant clients to avoid the landlord tenant board yes mm-hmm.
3: 100% i am doing everything i can to have them resolve it before they even put in that n4 or l1 or key to
2: anything. And even with that, the tenants, uh, I mean, there's a lot of tenants that, you know, they've been put in a, a tough position with the landlord having to sell or, uh, you know, tenants that uh, may be forced to leave because the landlord's moving into their home or the landlord's children are moving into their home. So with that said, is there anything that tenants can do to eliminate these uh, struggles or eliminate the challenges that they're facing, uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that the the landlord has their rights because it is their home. But what can a tenant do to protect themselves in that situation?
3: The, the, the responsibility and the protection is on both, the landlord and the tenant. The, you know, the increase in prices are on both parties. Uh, The expenses are on both parties and, you know, to say how to protect one versus the other, it's impossible to answer because they're both protected in the exact same way. I advocate every single time I talk to anyone, have a good open relationship with your landlord, with your tenant, you know, check in regularly. Don't leave things until, you know, something explodes or blows up. Be present, be there You know, have that good, open, strong relationship. There's nothing more that you can do.
2: That's true. And and the landlord does have a right to protect the tenant's interest in that property. But at the same time, Simona, getting back to the basic, and you started with this, it's the landlord's house. And, you know, how, how do we make it clear to those tenants on the flip side to say, this is not your house, you're living here, but it's somebody else's house?
3: That's right, it's the landlord's house, and the landlord has to make themselves seen. The landlord has to make themselves available. They have to check in, do inspections every three months, go and cut the grass, go and you know say hello, have a coffee with your tenants. It's all about building relationships, you build trust. Less things happen when you do that.
2: Simona, always great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing, and we look forward to uh, an update on the LTV uh, in the near future.
1: Thank you, guys, always. After the break, the ins and outs of the home appraisal. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan, from Remax Prime Properties with today's next
2: guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is Claudio Polito from Crosstown Appraisals. And Claudio, congratulations, current president of the Appraisal Institute of
4: Canada. Oh, thank you, Asif, and thank you for having me again. Well, thank you for being here. We
2: uh, wanted to kind of get the uh, temperature out there of what's happening with appraisals in this landscape. I mean, interest rates are high. our home values actually dropping?
4: Well, we've, we've definitely seen the impact of, I forget how many interest rate increases, seven, eight, nine.
2: 18, 20. 20, <laughs> 20. Who knows? You,
4: you lose count after a while and there was a lot of apprehension at the beginning of the month with uh, all the anticipation surrounding, will they increase or will they not increase? And we, we felt that, it, that anticipation or that hesitancy in, in the marketplace with consumers as I'm sure you have. And uh, there's definitely been an impact on valuation because of the the cost of borrowing.
1: And Claudio, can I ask you, let's take a step back. I'm here in the studio with a couple of pros, but I'm not in this industry. For the listeners who maybe are not aware, what is the role of the appraiser?
4: The appraiser provides an independent uh, third-party opinion. Uh, It's sort of a a, a secondary uh, check on by, by, by the public, by lenders, by homeowners, investors, and, and oftentimes also by realtors uh, in these changing times, changing markets, it's often a good practice to, to perhaps rely on someone else's opinion as well to perhaps validate what you're thinking.
1: So can I ask a question? Sorry, I have to interrupt here, but what if the appraisal is lower than the offer? What happens there?
4: Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> now, well, again, we, we we take a we take an impartial third party approach. If the appraisal is lower than, uh, let's say, the purchase price, I'm not quite sure what what happens on the realtor's end and, and the purchaser's end. We oftentimes are engaged by lenders to provide uh, an appraisal, and at that point, what the the lender may or may not do, or the realtor and the purchaser, uh, it may be a question of coming up with more money or renegotiating, or perhaps a lender has enough Allowed to go ahead with the with the mortgage loan. Okay,
2: and I think it depends on how much money is being put down in the transaction. If they have 30, 40, 50% down, then often it doesn't mean that much, but if it's a high ratio mortgage and the value doesn't come in, the lending values are, are mainly for peace of mind, and especially for the lender to make sure that there's enough equity in the property that they can lend a certain amount of money. So they, the lender may come back and say, hey, the appraisal was short $20,000, so we're going to lend you 80% of the appraised value and you have to come up with the rest in cash, which is typically what happens. And at that point, the purchaser would have to put that up in cash and uh, and make sure they can close on that property.
4: And what we find is when you're dealing with a knowledgeable realtor who knows the area, oftentimes the real estate is not a science. There's a lot of art involved with it. And what you may pay for a property may be slightly different what I may pay or what assets may pay, but if we're all in the same ballpark, things tend to work out. If you're uninformed from out of town using a realtor that perhaps doesn't know the area as well, then you just may not know what the current market state is. And that's where the independent uh, appraisal comes in.
2: That's right. And Claudio, how have you found uh, the appraisal values? I know that when the market was ultra-heated, there was an issue because people were paying two, three $300,000 over asking for these properties and they weren't coming in at those prices. But have you found that since the market has been a little bit calmer, not as many multiple offers and also the consumer being a little bit savvy and careful, have the appraisal values been coming in relatively close to
4: selling prices? We've seen more of a typical market in that uh, very vibrant spin market, perhaps a sluggish Summer market, and we found in the spring surprisingly, uh, properties were selling above asking in limited marketplaces. But that was a, for a short period of time. I think enough interest rate hikes put an end to that. But we're finding now the majority of MLS transactions tend to be on market, and, and, and we tend to find that statistically over the years. Uh, an appraisal is not only for is the is value consistent with the area, but it's also about the property. Uh, is there anything about the property we should know? Is the property, you know, the property may be worth it, but perhaps it sides onto uh, hydro lines or an auto body shop. And lenders may want to know that. Not to say the value isn't there. The value may be there. The negotiated value may be market value. But it's also about having eyes on the ground. So it's multifaceted what what the appraiser does. And the home appraisal
1: is different from the home inspection.
2: Correct, yeah. And the inspection is more what's happening within the home, whereas the appraisal is what features do you have in your home that make it stand out, uh, you know, away from the competition. And, uh, you know, your neighbor may have sold for $950,000, but if you have granite countertops, all hardwood floors, uh, a really nice backyard, all of these play into the appraisal where they'll go in and consider all of these additional factors you have that would help with the value, right?
4: And, and we've moved away from the word inspection to site visit because we mm-hmm. don't, it's not a full home inspection as you may, we don't do attics, we don't go into roofs, we don't, with the fancy laser guns, look through the drywall <laughs> and what have you. It, 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 it's more a cursory, it's a cursory inspection, site visit, to, as you said, as point out some of the features of the property, layout, is it consistent with the neighborhood, quality level of finishing, et cetera.
2: And Claudio, I know when you were here last, we spoke about the appraisal being a value in time. And it's really important that people understand that because there's been so many times where a listing agent has sent me an appraisal that was done six months or nine months ago and said, here's the value, here's the appraisal. This is why we listed that way. Tell us a little bit about values in and time and, and why an appraisal from six or nine months ago may not be
4: as valid now? Valuing properties is, it's about interpreting the marketplace, the actions of buyers and sellers. And those actions are oftentimes based on emotion and other influences. And the biggest influence has always been supply and demand, what's available, what's not available. You may find at a a given point in time in a particular neighborhood, there may only be two or three comparable properties for sale. Uh, maybe six or seven for sale, but one or two may be at the very, very low end and poor condition, you don't want that. And one or two may be extremely renovated back onto the ravine and you can't afford that. So there's only two or three in the middle that you can entertain putting an offer on. And if it, depending on the market conditions, one property for sale is a seller's market, three properties for sale. It's only the difference of one and three. Three for sale could be a buyer's market. And that slight, that slight nuance on that given point, uh, that date, that dictates the market, the market. Fast forward 72 hours, 96 hours, property comes for sale, can change the dynamic of the market. An appraisal from six months, mo- six months ago may give you an indication of definitely what the market was six months ago. But is that the market today? Even though statistically the market may have gone down 5, 10, 20%, it may be flat. That micro market, meaning that street, that neighborhood could fluctuate uh, more so than the general market.
1: Is there a fee associated with um, an appraisal?
4: I like to work for free.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And who picks up the fee? Is it the lender?
4: Uh, Depending on on, um, which lender, which type of appraisal, ultimately one way or the other, the homeowner, the borrower is going to pay for it. Uh, But depending on the lender, so uh, a lot of the, I would say the, the big five or six, they may absorb a portion of it. They may, uh, depending on client relations, they may pick up the fee. Mm-hmm. Other lenders may oftentimes request that the homeowner or the borrower pay for the appraisal directly. Paying for the appraisal does not entail you to the appraisal. The appraisal is prepared for the client, which is the lender. And oftentimes that's one of the uh, uh, misunderstandings where I paid for the appraisal so I'm entitled to it. You're entitled, to uh, you're not entitled to the appraisal. The appraisal is for the lender. So. And, and that's a distinction that I'm happy you asked the question because it's oftentimes that's something consumers, if they were called directly and say, I need an appraisal for a mortgage or what have you, then the appraisal belongs to you, not to the bank.
2: And Claudio, I, I know we've talked about uh, automated value uh, uh, markets uh, and and how people can go on to a bank's website and be able to get, an automated value for their home. But, you know, I had a question the other day where they said, well, I went onto the bank's website and this is what my house is worth. I got an appraisal already. Why are they sending an appraiser? Tell us a little bit about AVMs and uh, why it's still important to have an in-person appraisal.
4: AVMs may provide you an initial Goalposts of where the value may be based on statistical modeling probably works in newer condominium buildings. Perhaps it works a little bit better in newer subdivisions where everything's the same. But ultimately, every house is is different. A, a great analogy I heard a colleague tell me: uh, You have two athletes, both six foot two, two hundred and ten pounds. They look the same. Everything's identical. One runs a ten nine. One runs in 1910. They look the same. Doesn't mean they are the same.
2: That's true, Claudio. Great information as always. And if people want more information about what Crosstown Appraisals does, where can they find that?
4: Oh, you can visit our website, crosstownappraisal.ca.
2: Crosstownappraisal.ca. Claudio, thanks so much for uh, being here. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Thank you. When
1: we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 1059 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On The Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next, and we begin with Perry in Georgina. He owns a rental property, wants to know if now is a good time to sell or continue to rent the home.
2: Well, it really depends on what you want to do, Perry. It depends on if you uh, want to cash out right now. I mean, the market is good for sales because there's not a lot of inventory. Uh, but at the same time, the market is good for rentals as well because... With the limited amount of inventory for rentals, people are getting a lot more for rental properties. Now, there's some landlords that have had long term tenants that, uh, with the new interest rates or their new mortgages, they're not able to carry those places anymore. And we see them selling because it doesn't make financial sense for them to carry that property and rent it out right now. So if that's the situation, then you know we could talk about that and, and maybe the sale is in the best interest, but there's certain things that you need to do with your tenant and notices that you need to provide. And you also need to make sure that the purchaser is actually gonna be using that property for their own use. Otherwise, they may have to inherit that tenant. So there's a lot of different variables that uh, will factor in to you deciding on selling or Holding on to that property. Now we
1: spoke earlier in the show with Simona about the horror stories at the landlord-tenant board for landlords and renters alike. Is anybody getting into
2: that game these days? There still are some people that are getting into that, but the the dollars and cents have to be be there because you know investors don't have that emotional interest in that property. It's a business venture so if the dollars and cents don't add up then they're not going to do it but if they do then there is a likelihood that they would do it Uh, obviously the price has to be right as well it's tough to purchase an investment property in a market with limited inventory because you know you're going in and you're probably going to have to pay over asking or get into a bidding war. So it's it's not the ideal climate to purchase an investment property, but there are still are people that are looking to invest their money in real estate and they're choosing the investment route.
1: We've also heard stories on this show about those who are landlords, small landlords, and they're saying to other people out there, don't do it it's too much of a headache, especially if you're trying to move that tenant out
2: well the landlord tenant board delays have really caused havoc uh, in the rental business and uh, even the interest rates I mean they, they've really increased people's payments of what they're paying and and when you factor all of that in and uh, you know it does make for an a situation where people will shy away from renting places to tenants because tenants are, you know, a lot of tenants are taking advantage of the situation with the board delays and trying to get away with things that they normally would not if the board wasn't delayed, if they didn't have eight months or 10 months uh, to drag this out, if they were going to get kicked out in a month. But, you know, if the landlord tenant board, uh, if they can introduce, penalties for tenants that try to overstay or or are actually causing hardship to the landlords. And I think that would go away. But at the same time, there's some landlords that are trying to take advantage of tenants because they see that, hey, maybe I can get $3,000 for this from someone else rather than have it rented out for 2200 So mm. they're being sneaky and saying, hey, I'm going to move in, so you need to move out, but they're actually going to be renting it out. So they've kind of caused the landlord tenant board to step in and take action against them. And that's what's causing some of these delays is there's some cases that shouldn't be in the landlord tenant board right now because uh, they should have been thrown out a long time ago. But they're causing these delays and it's making it harder for landlords and for tenants. And until those delays go away, it could be as simple as, Hearing cases over Zoom and, and maybe hiring more people to do this and, and getting more of the cases through per day than they are, uh, that should uh, eliminate some of these delays and and hopefully make for a, a brighter future for potential landlords. Moving on to the next question. Frances In Vaughn
1: is a regular listener of On The Market and heard you mention a home's power zones in a recent episode. What do you mean by this term and how will it affect
2: the possible sale of her home in the future? So power zones we mean uh, when people walk into your home what are the areas that they notice first what are the uh, areas that really highlight your home and obviously the the major ones are kitchens and bathrooms and people will always tell you make sure your kitchens and bathrooms are updated But other areas that have come into play over the last few years have been the backyard. You know, with people looking for larger properties or not going on vacations as much, wanting to enjoy their home and their space, the backyard really started to stand out for many people. Basement, you know, is there a home theatre system in there uh, or a home theatre room in there? That's really been a, a key over the last few years. Workspace, are you able to work from home with a lot of people either doing a hybrid or a work from home, they want to have that quiet space that they can actually work. So these are power areas uh, that people are looking at right now. And if those are highlighted and showcased well, you have a better chance of selling your home for more money.
1: As a reminder, if you have questions for on the market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, our listeners often want
2: to contact you directly. How can they do that? Tina, they can always phone me directly at 416-985-5426.
1: If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening.